Again, I want to say that it is an honor to be here, and we did vote already, and I don't mind being a single-item voter. If you kill babies, I can't vote for you. <laughs> you, you, cannot, you cannot touch the most innocent in the culture and expect to get the support of a man who has a conscience that's been renewed by the Spirit of God. We'll be looking at the book of Revelation, but I want to make about seven uh, introductory comments. I had to write them all down. That's almost as big as my sermon notes. First of all, I'm so grateful for the prayers and support of this church. I added up. I don't know if we're supposed to do this. This is like good technique or not, but you have given us a lot of money. <laughs> it doesn't get to the bottom line over the past four years. I added up. It comes to about $10,000, and I appreciate that. Um, we're so grateful that we have churches that support us, that we don't have to change the kinds of emphases. I don't have to come in here and say, I even heard a missionary say one time, well, you better not say that at the churches. That who supports you? Um, we're supported by people who have a fairly like mind. And um, I'm grateful for that. I don't overlook that. I do pray for the churches that support me. I pray for faces, and sometimes I mix names up, okay? I didn't forget you, Marshall. I didn't forget some people, okay? <laughs> so thank you so much for that. In the back, you'll find a table that has um, a Bible and Sangha. If you really just want to glance at that, I'm sure you won't be reading chapters and chapters, uh, but you're welcome to look at that. Um, also, uh, you'll see a, a sign-up list for email. If you are not on my email list or you'd like to get about once a month, we send out a prayer letter. Uh, please no forwards, though. If you love sending forwards, don't love sending them to us. <laughs> um, and I'd also just thought this. I just, like, there's, hey, this is great. This is why I like sharing it. Um, well, when Pastor mentioned we're going to pray today at 3. And she said, is that till 6? I said, 3 to 6? I've never been that long. I'm going to try. Uh, that's so wonderful. I, I, can, I always remember that uh, I learned at Sheraton uh, patterns for prayer that we are teaching in, uh, in all the ministries that we have in South Africa. And those patterns are um, just go around the room. Different people get to pray. Don't try to pray for 35 minutes while this guy's falling asleep. You just you talk to God for a little bit, and then this guy, and they'll just you know, keep praying, and you'll know you'll learn how to do it. I'm so grateful for that. Um, there's a church in Maryland that's taught me some important things. When I get there, I'll thank them. But the, the church in Sheraton, I constantly remember, helped me with prayer. And we have a men's group every other Saturday called Faithful Men in Tsonga of Abanunubo Timbeka. And uh, every week, the Faithful Men get down and we teach these guys who are all newly converted within the last six months how to pray for 30 minutes at a time. And this is so good. And I'll talk more about that tonight. But it's, it's rich. And so it's nice to come back where I say, you know, the seed of some of those ideas started here. So um, what a blessing. Also, um, <clears throat> we, uh, I will be showing some, some pictures and talking more about some missions philosophy tonight and all the controversies going to come out tonight, all the issues with finances. I think there are some things that we're not asking for money, by the way. Okay. We don't want any more, uh, but all those things with finances, we're going to, we're going to talk about some of those things, not all, some of those things tonight, some of the things the Lord's taught in the last four years. And uh, I would really encourage you to come. We're back for three months and that is uncommon. Uh, it's not most, most missionaries come back for nine months to a year. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they remember the language. I'm already struggling to remember my tsonga and keep my accent up. Um, 
And we're back for three months. We are so hungry to see our family and our friends and to buy things at secondhand stores. <laughs> there, you know, I'll mention this again today, but there are no secondhand stores outside of America. Things keep their value because there's so many, many products here. You know, when you don't like a product, you get rid of it and go to Walmart and get another one for $3. But over there, if they don't like a product, they get rid of it and go buy another one for $30. You know, it's just the, the kind of blessing that's come here. We just constantly need to thank God for that. So we're talking about some of those things tonight, but I do appreciate your prayers for our church. Even this morning, our teammate, Paul, is running the church, um, and we're so grateful for his ministry. And uh, we're, we're nervous about our church. When you pour four years of your life into a little group, actually, technically, it's been about two and a half years for that group, two years into that group, um, and you think, what's going to happen? Oh, my. Um, so thank you for your prayers in that regard. And uh, Paul, our teammate, is going to head off from Mozambique tomorrow. I mentioned in the morning service, there's just so many things. I don't have time to get them all in. I'll try to bring all the ropes together and tie them up nice in a nice knot tonight. But Paul is going to be leaving tomorrow morning to go to Mozambique um, because he is looking to take his wife there to that village where Dan got attacked by the croc. So um, uh, they are actually planning on going back tomorrow. And that's a big trip. Um, full of a lot of eventful things, not the least of which are bees and crocodiles. So we are grateful for your prayers uh, regarding that. Lord willing, I'll try to call them in the afternoon, maybe even tell you what happened or how their things are doing tonight. Let's look right now <clears throat> at the book of Revelation, chapter 5. Oh, I just remembered there's one other thing. just want to thank the Lord for this wonderful country. We've been back for a few days, but we've already settled on what gift to get Caleb for his birthday. I'm sure you'd all want to know. It's the 29th of April. He's turned two, and we decided to get him a little baby brother or sister. (laughs) Revelation 5, let's look at the 9th and the 10th and the 11th verses. Verse number 9. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for Thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by Thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts, and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands. Verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. May the Lord bless as we attempt to open up those verses. I'd like to connect this to missions at the very beginning by saying, Revelation 5, 9 is the verse that I use to confront my greatest difficulty on the mission field. Tonight, I'm going to share with you the kinds of sins that Amy and I struggle with, among other things. I'm going to have a whole list of about 14 things, okay? One of them is the sins that we struggle with that you can pray for us about. One of those sins, the greatest, if it's a sin or if it's just a lack of a virtue, 
is the issue of discouragement. It is not easy. It is very difficult. It is the hardest thing I've done in my life to attempt to learn the Tsonga speaking language, the Tsonga language. We also speak Venda. It is the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. More difficult than waiting for my wife for four years. I had to wait for four years for I could take her. <clears throat> and when you minister in Africa or in any context, but especially in the context where I'm at, attempting to, to somehow convince people of the need to sit down and systematically study the book of Romans until they get it. It's difficult. And we both, Amy and I and our teammates, struggle with discouragement. Seriously. But this verse is the one above all other verses that I turn to. There are some other ones. But above all others, I go to Revelation 5.9. And I find in there two hints. I won't be preaching on those two hints today. That's for if this verse ever becomes a series of messages. But I find in there two hints. One is we are missionaries because we love Christ, first and foremost. And that's why we left our country. It's not because, well, we're just getting tired of this place. Or, well, we don't want that guy and he's going to be elected, so we'll just go. This is the greatest country on the face of the earth as far as prosperity, blessing, and even Christian backing. If you say the Christianity of America is bad, Try going to another country. We love this country, but we've gone because we love Jesus. And secondly, because we love people. And it's Jesus' way up here, and then the people are down here, but we do go because we love those people. We want those people to be saved. We don't like thinking about the lake of fire with them in it. We don't like about thinking about eternal torment. We want them to be converted. We love those people. And those hints are in this verse. But there's something greater in this verse, and it's a picture. I'm going to attempt now to paint a picture of this verse. The picture, the metaphor, the idea that's in that verse, I'm going to try to bring it out and make a picture, and hopefully this picture will last and it will stick in your mind. And you'll probably forget the person who delivered the message but I'm hoping that after years of time, there will be some young men who are in here whose heart inside them urges them into a deeper kind of sold-out commitment. And it's because of a seed that was planted with a verse like this. So may God help us as we attempt to examine three aspects behind the choir in this verse. First of all, we'll notice the background. If you're a note-taker, I'll tell you my outline in advance. We'll look at the background. Secondly, we'll look at the participants, the people who are doing it. And thirdly, we'll look at the activity. So it's a fairly simple outline, but that's because the verse is simple. We'll look at three things, the background, the participants, and the activity. And all the time I'm going to be attempting to do this one thing. I'm attempting to drive this one idea. I want this to be a settled confidence in your heart. More settled than the love that you have for your wife, your husband. More settled than the confidence that you have in your, in your church or more settled than the confidence, definitely than the confidence you have in your country or your economy, this one idea. People from every people group in the world will eventually one day stand before Jesus Christ and sing to give honor and praise to the Lamb that was slain. That's the one certainty I want to drive into you so that when you hear about a scandal in the church, 
you'll not be shaken because there's a certainty that's more certain than the certainty you were certain about. And if something happens in your family or your son or your daughter devastates you by falling into a sin that's too terrible to mention, you will say, I know for sure that there will be a redeemed group of people from every group and they're going to sing and praise Jesus. And if we can get that thought in our hearts, I'm not too interested in having 17 verses of just as I am and just urging and begging that, oh, maybe, Jeremy, wouldn't you just come to an old-fashioned altar and just give your life to missions? Although I'd be glad if people did that. I'm really not interested in pressing that way because if this thought gets in our heart, a tree will grow from it. If this seed gets down there, a tree will grow out of it. And it'll, it'll be a fruit-bearing, life-giving kind of tree. May God help us to understand this. What's the background of Revelation 5 in the ninth verse? Well, simply enough, Revelation chapter 4. It's the fourth chapter. What do we see in chapter 4? We won't read all those verses, but in Revelation 4, 1, 2, and 3, uh, John is pulled up into heaven in a vision, and he sees heaven. He goes into heaven. So you can simply remember Revelation 4 and 5. If you're a Bible mark, you can mark Revelation 4 and 5 is John's vision of heaven. He's going to see the throne room. It's a parallel passage with Deuteronomy chapter 24. Not parallel in the place, but parallel in the result. In Deuteronomy 24, which the Lord planned to be my scripture reading for this morning, and as I read it, I said, yes, life again, health experience of God, Exodus 24, is an Old Testament passage where Moses goes up on the mountain for 40 days and the Bible says he saw a devouring fire. And I attempted in my mind, and it says that all the people, all the children of Israel could see a devouring fire on the mountain and were too afraid to approach. But Moses could go right into that. And I thought to myself, what kind of adjectives would you use to describe all these people looking up on a mountain and they're terrified and frightened as they see a mountain and a burning, the Bible calls devouring fire on top of that mountain. And they're so frightened they won't even come near the mountain. And God even says to Moses, don't let them come near it and don't let a beast even touch it or they'll die. That is an experience of, with God. I think that's what serious Christians want on Sunday morning when they come to church. And there's 1%, 10% of those evangelical Christians of America, when they gather on Sunday morning, they would be called charismatics. And a large driving force behind the charismatic churches are, we desire to experience God. I think it's driven out of a, partly out of a positive desire, saying we just want to, we don't want to sit in church and just sit there week after week and there's no connection to our emotions. We really, we want to connect somehow. Well, in Exodus 24, there is a connection. And in Revelation 4 and 5, there's a connection. There's a deep connection here that connects with our emotions and our hearts. And in Revelation 4, we see the throne room of God. If you read that, you'll see at least 11 descriptions of colors or sounds or shapes in Revelation 4. Now, why is that important? Because when they put those details in there, they're trying to paint a picture in our mind. 
Well, the reason he says green like an emerald is because he wants you to think about what? Soccer this afternoon, right? No, he wants you to think about green. And when he says a throne in front of a crystal sea, he wants you to think about a crystal sea and, and these green colors. And when he says his voice thundered, there's a great word, like many waters. He wants you to think of oceans and waves and, hey, I can't hear you. The waves are too loud. And that's what God's voice is like. He wants you to put all those ideas together and say, that is God. He wants you to have that kind of an idea. And that's what we have in Revelation 4. I'm going to pull the ninth verse out, but really it wasn't meant to be pulled out. It was meant to get a cumulative effect. When you read the fourth chapter, you say, wow, all these ideas. This God is so big and great and powerful. Look at his colors. Look at his shapes. Look at his, look at the sounds. I can't even fathom all this. Let's just try to put them into words. And you and I are supposed to hunger after an experience with God. That's what Revelation 4 and 5 is about. There is more to the Christian life than having an internal experience. There is more to the Christian life than having our emotions connected. But there is not less. You can't say, I'm a strong, mature, growing Christian because I've read Wayne Grudem's 1,200-page systematic theology textbook and I know all the views of infralapsarianism. You can't... You can't say that you're really a solid Christian if you've got the knowledge, but in your heart there's no passionate connection between you and Jesus Christ. It is also true that if you have only emotional experience without any doctrine, you're going to flounder and woe to your kids who aren't even going to know what the gospel is, if you even do. But folks, this verse is here to grab at our hearts. The doctrine is this. There will be a people, a collected people from every group, and in heaven one day they'll gather and sing praises to the Lamb. Now let's examine the second point. Let's examine the participants of the singing. With all of this as background, the first thing John sees is the throne and then the colors and the sounds and, the, and all of these things grab his eyes and his attention and his pen is on fire as he writes out all these details. And, he, and, and it's good for us to be reminded of what a barrage, what a cascade of, of details these are because it just tells you when you get into heaven, everything draws your eye but the Son of God first and it's a full and rich experience And then John hears singing. Look at the ninth verse. What is the verb in the ninth verse? What's the verb? Singing. They sung. And what's the subject of that sentence? It's they. They, they, they. Whose are they? We'll look back in verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they. Okay, the they of verse 9 is going to take us back to the verse 8. What's the they of verse 9? 
Who's in verse 8? Who is it? Who are we talking about here? It's in verse 8. Saints, I'll agree. Saints is correct. But there's another word that they use or another phrase in verse 8. Okay. There's a little discussion on this. I'm not trying to have any controversy here. I'm just trying to let you know. In verse 8 it says, the, the 24 elders fell down and they had these prayers and then they sung a song. This is the Christians of all ages pictured as 24 elders. The believers in Christ pictured as 24 elders in heaven. And in verse 9, they sing. But there's another description of the, of the participants, and it's there in verse 9. See, Paul, uh, uh, John says there are 24 elders, and that picture will be valuable to us when we're in heaven. But here on earth, what's the way he delineates? What's the way he breaks up? What's the way he categorizes the singers, the choir? How does he categorize this choir in verse 9? There's four categories. Do you see those in verse 9? Come on, Sprague. Look at the ninth verse. There's four categories. Right? Our first one is kindred. Our second one is tongue. Third is people. And our fourth is nations. To keep it short and simple, but I think your eyes can naturally see it, this is every ethnic linguistic group in the world. Every ethnic linguistic group. Tonight, I'm going to press you to go on the internet and check out www.joshuaproject.net. Joshuaproject.net. You need to check that out. I'll talk more about that tonight. But... JoshuaProject.net is a website that gives all kinds of statistical information about the people groups of the world and are they less reached or more reached with the gospel. JoshuaProject.net gets their information from missionaries all over the world who just send in information about their people groups. That website has classified 15,000 people groups in the world. Did you hear that? 15,000 people groups, ethnic, linguistic groupings. Now, I'm going to shock you a minute, okay? But there's only 6,912 living languages in the world. Wait a minute. How can you have 6,900 living languages, but 15,000 people groups? Oh, because some people groups speak the same language, like the Tsongas of Mozambique and the Tsongas of... South Africa, that's two people groups, but how many languages? Okay, you follow that? So all I'm doing is I'm just trying to get your mind just to just fall backward and say, hey, that's too much. I'm trying to do that so you'll say, this is a big group. And God knows every single one of them. And he's going to save people from every one of them. That's what he said. I... When I face discouragement, I say, it's in the Bible. The song of people are going to get it. I can keep evangelizing. I can keep passing out tracts, even though I've done it 500 times. Even though I've gone to 2,000 doors. They're going to get it. I know it's going to happen. And if I wasn't convinced of that fact, I would probably be about ready to quit. And I've only been there four years. It's going to happen to me after 20 years. We've got to have this kind of a solid ground for our missionaries. 
And if young people are interested in serving in missions, pastor or others, tell them this. What are you going to do after the third year when you're just discouraged and you're ready to quit because they're not getting it? Or because the person that you led to Christ, you led them to Christ after over a year of Bible studies. They came to you and said, now I'm prepared to be saved in the month of January. And they came to you and said, I want to be baptized. And you baptize them. And six months later, they try to stab you in the back. In a terrible way that I can't even discuss here. That happened to us. And your wife's going to say, why are we here? And I'm going to say, I don't know. why am I here? I can't get it. And then John says, Seth, open my book again and go to the fifth chapter and just read that ninth verse. And I say, God, somebody's going to get it. They're going to be saved. We've got to do it because God's building this big choir. And on that day, nothing is going to matter but the Tsonga-speaking people and the Venda-speaking people and the and the Zulus and the Endeveres and the 39 languages of Mozambique and there's going to be people singing to worship God from those languages. And young man, do you want to be in part of that? I am not saying to you, come be a missionary. It's exciting. It's tough and it's tiring. But if you want to be with me someday looking at that choir and tears coming down your face because it did happen. It happened. That's something you can give your life to that's a little better than getting a BMW. And it's right there. And this isn't a very homiletically crafted sermon, although I tried it. I'm not really following these notes too well. I'm just pouring out my heart because this is what I felt and experienced, and I, I know that this is a source of strength. I've tested it and proved it. I'm going to go back with this verse right on my lips until God gives me a better one, but I don't know if there is one. (laughs) This verse speaks of all geography. There are seven inhabited continents, a total of 235 countries. The world is 71% water and 29% land surface. Land makes up 148 million square kilometers. 90, 80, 80-some 80 million square miles. I'm just trying to do the math in my head here. I'm used to working with kilometers. 6.7 billion people as of July 2008. The average age of the person in the world is 28 years old. There's 6,912 living languages. A living language is a language where people are speaking it And they're teaching it to their children. There are hundreds of languages where people are now learning the other language that's nearer to them. They're giving up, let's just say, for example, Venda, because they want to learn Tsonga. Now, that's not happening with Vendas and Tsongas, but you get an idea. So as soon as all the people decide, let's just teach our kids Tsonga, then Venda becomes a dead language or a dying language. There's 6,912 living languages There are 15,967 ethnic groups. The largest ethnic group in the world is Mandarin Chinese. 793 million. 793 million. That's more than two times the number of people that live in our country. And that's one people group. America has the most number of ethnicities in the world with over 380 ethnicities in our country. But 
we're all kind of bonded together by English. But in other countries like Nigeria, there's over 250 languages, and they're not bonded together by English. In South Africa, there are 11 official languages. In Mozambique, there are 39. In Zimbabwe, there's 18. In India, over 1,000 ethnic linguistic groupings. And this verse says there's going to be a group from all of them praising Jesus. That's exciting. You don't have to wonder, well, you know, I, I, I'm going to give this thing a try. It's going to work. You go into a business venture and you say, well, I think we're going to do it our best. You know, I just think people are buying computers these days, so let's try this computer business. Well, I just hope, you know, we'll just see after five years. This is an industry that's going to succeed. And it succeeds. It's really hard, but it's going to succeed. It will. It's, it's going to happen that this choir is there. How many people will be in that choir? We're still examining the participants. That word, they. How many people will be there? Now, I could give you a number. It would just be a guess. I do have a number up here of how many people are going to sing in the choir. In that great choir in Revelation 5-9. But I want to just go through the steps to show you how I got my number. Okay, I'm guessing at how many saved people there are. I can't know for sure. I can't even get close, but I'll show you how I got it. In Acts, we read about 3,000 people being saved. In Acts 2.41, we read about 5,000 people being saved in the next chapter. Then in a chapter later, we learn people were being saved every single day. Two, cha- two other chapters refer to many, many people being saved. So maybe as many as 50,000 in the book of Acts, up, up to chapter 12. Do you know how many 50,000 is? Think about that. Have you ever been to a stadium that holds 50,000 people? You ever been there? Okay, imagine every one of those people singing one song, and they're all trained voices, let's just say. Imagine that. Would that be exciting if they're all Christians who love Jesus with all their heart, and Jesus in the, in the center of the field, and all those people stand up and they sing? Would you be moved by that sound? We're just in the book of Acts. Let's move. By the year, between the year 100 and 300... Christians were affecting their society. They were affecting their society so much that in 313 A.D., Constantine the governor had to change the state religion to Christianity. The Joshua Project says that in order for any people, group, or ethnicity to affect a society, there needs to be 2% of that group, special interest group, in the society. You follow that? Is that easy enough? Okay, so if, so if Christians want to make an impact on America, then Joshua Project is saying... Culturally, there has to be at least 2% of the Christians, 2% of people in America have to be Christians in order for them to have any voice in the culture. Okay? But in those days, they were so affecting their culture that they got the governor to change the religion. So what percentage do you think it would have to be? Probably a very large percent, but let's just say 20%. That would be hundreds of millions. There are 57 revivals that are recorded by Brian Edwards in his book, Revival, A People Saturated with God. In some of those revivals, tens of thousands were converted. So now let's add our 50,000 people in the stadium, okay? And we just added from the days of Constantine, we added about 5 million more. Now, think 5 million. How many stadiums is that? 
Now, you imagine, here's a stadium of 50, here's a stadium of 50, that's 100, here's a stadium of 50 and a 50. Now, imagine you're standing on in a mountain, and you're looking out over a huge valley, and it's filled with stadiums of 50,000 people each, and they're all Jesus. They're, they're, all, they're all excited about Jesus. Now, imagine, you're just looking at the stadiums. There's a stadium. Is that a stadium? Yeah, it's a stadium filled with people. And there, and there, and there, and there, and there. That's just up to the year 300 A.D., we got 5 million plus or 50,000 plus Brian Edwards writes about 57 revivals throughout the history of the world, throughout the history of the church. 57 different revivals where at different times tens of thousands of people were brought, into Christ, brought to Christ. So now we've got, we're on our mountain, right? We're looking down and we see 50,000, 50,000, 50,000, 50,000 all in these stadiums. And we say, this is incredible. Let's move on. Today, 400 million people claim to be Protestant. With all that, 400 million claim to be Protestant. Now, let's just say that out of 400 million, 20%, one in five is saved. Okay? We're not saying they're fundamental independent Baptists, which I am. Let's just say 20% of those people, they're at least converted. They trust in Jesus. Okay? Might be more. I don't think it'd be less. Hopefully it's not less. If so, 20% of 400 million, how much is that? That's 80 million. Now you're on your mountain and all of a sudden your stadiums, they just started spreading out further. Are these people who are all going to be there in Revelation 5.9? But wait a minute, we forgot a huge group. Those who, those women who've experienced a miscarriage and those babies who were murdered by heartless, unconverted children of Satan as abortions. Hey, those babies are going to be there. Right? Now just, just start adding a whole bunch more stadiums. Because in South Africa alone, that's 85,000 babies in a year. Roe v. Wade's been active for 25 years. This is thousands and millions of people that's going to happen in Revelation 5.9. The number of people would probably be in the billions that is going to sing at this verse right here. Now, I got excited when I saw this little orchestra. I said, hey, they got an orchestra. At our church, our little church plant, we taught one of the boys to play guitar. That's our music, our big music ministry. We got a guitar, and he plays it. We're excited about that. Someday, we were thinking of getting two guitars. If we ever get a building that has electricity, and maybe they can afford it, and they can buy a little keyboard, we're going to teach them how to play piano, and there's going to be a piano, and maybe two guitars. I said, look at this orchestra, this is great. Do you think they're going to sing a cappella? I don't know. I like to just imagine. Whatever they sing, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be the most moving demonstration that you or I have ever experienced. Let's look at the third uh, element of my message, the second element in this verse. They is the subject. What's our verb again of Revelation 5.9? They sung. They were singing. Singing is an emotional activity. It's an activity that connects our emotions. I guess it's possible to try to sing without any emotional connection. 
But I tried it a couple times at our house in South Africa, attempting, if I could say, I sang without any emotion. I mean, I mean zero happiness or sadness, absolute apathy. Attempt to sing God is so good with zero emotion. It's difficult because there's something singing isn't talking and singing certainly isn't rapping. Singing's something different. I don't know. It's melody and it's harmony. It's rhythm and it's, it's, there's some kind of emotional connection in there. It's an emotional activity and God has made us that way. And it's important that it's not in verse nine. And they did a choral speaking where they all chanted, thou art worthy to take the book. That's not it. This is a choir number. This is a song. This is the hit CD single of all time. And in this day, when this singing happens, it's going to be emotionally electrifying. Did you know? Now, you'll look in the 11th verse and you'll see angels giving praise to God, right? In the 11th verse. Who's doing the praising in the 11th verse? Angels, okay? And it's a lot of angels. My wife doesn't like this point, but I'm going to say it anyway. Maybe you won't like it, but I'm still going to say it because it's in the Bible. Unless somebody can show me a verse. There's no verse in the Bible where angels sing. Maybe you could say, what about when they came down to baby Jesus? The Bible says the angels said glory to God in the highest. Maybe they sang, but it doesn't say they sang. Unless you take that verse from Job, and this is what my wife always tries to get me with. When Job, it says the morning stars sang together for joy. Well, if morning stars is a picture, singing could be a picture. There's no verse in the Bible that clearly says angels sing. And my, my thought is that when God created us, he created us as an emotionally passionate people. And that is one of the distinctives of humans. We can give back to God a heart full of passion. Now, whether emotion, whether angels can really have emotions or not, that's a separate thing. And I certainly separate her. That's no real big deal. But the point is this. There is a distinction in the kind of worship that we give, the kind of worship angels give. We give an emotional response. We give a wholehearted feeling, impacting response to God and to Jesus Christ and to the blood of the Lamb. That's what we do. And if your emotions and your heart are disconnected, then may I remind you of the one great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and thirdly, with thy mind. There is an emotional, a heart-filled, a 100% passionate response that we must give, and it will be given in that day. The Christian life demands passion. And it demands our heart. And missionary service demands it. But it's all pointing to that one day, when with our whole hearts, we will sing to the praise of God. Notice also that the singing is doctrinal. How many doctrines do you find in the ninth verse? 
Well, in the ninth verse, there's, Thou art worthy to take the book. Well, it's the worth of Christ and his sovereignty to open the seals thereof. Christ opens the seals, no one else. For you were slain, thou wast slain. There we have redemption. Hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. There we have propitiation out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. We call that love. That's a doctrinal song. It's got sovereignty. It's got love. It's got redemption. It's got propitiation. It's got atonement. This is a song that's rich with doctrine. This is not a song, Isn't he beautiful? Beautiful Jesus. That's not what they're singing. They're singing a song that took people time to think of and write and worship with. They're singing a song here that's full of hymnology, full of doctrine. Isaac Watts is my favorite hymn writer. And some of the songs he wrote, he wrote one song that says, um, When I am taken by surprise with some distressing sin, I'll plead thy perfect righteousness and mention none but thine. Friends, that just is so far above shout to the Lord that I can't even, I can't even compare the two. To see the level of passion and doctrine... This song is full of it. And finally, it's artistic. Worship to God requires an artistic depth worthy of God. I want to close with my applications, and they are, someday we will be standing, let's imagine, on this mountain, and down at the bottom, in that plain, we see lines of people almost like military lines. They're lined up here, and I like to imagine with uniforms. And this people has all their greens, and they're going way back. And this people has blue. This people has a grayish brown, and that people has orange. And this is all the Americans. And they're singing to Jesus. And you're on this mountain, you're just looking, and they're waving banners and singing. And now, then you see all the Russian Christians that were persecuted for many years, but they were converted and they trusted Jesus. And you see over there the Chinese house churches that just went out and we didn't even know how many numbers there were. And we look over there and see the Bulgarian refugees that were converted through the track ministry that you paid for. And we see that you sent Bibles through the Bible League. And those uh, Christians were created and uh, converted in North Korea. And there's these groups, these peoples, and you look out and you just see the groups. I'm going to be up on that mountain. I'm going to see where the song is. Where are they? There they are. They're small. They're not that big. But there's 100,000 of them. And I was part of building that. Friends, at that day, nothing else is going to matter. You're not going to remember anything else, whether you had a nice house or whether you had a poor house. You're not going to remember anything else except... I did something for that people group and now they're praising the Lamb. Can you do anything more to build that choir? With your heart, with your prayer, with your life, can you do anything more? Let's close in prayer. Holy Father, we ask that you administer encouragement to soul winners here today.
that they might be comforted with this choir, that they might, with all their hearts, believe Revelation 5.9. Unbelief is such a terrible sin. And we pray that you would give me and pastor, my wife, the deacons and elders in the church, the children, the teenagers, the young people, that one young lady who's given her life to missionary service, or that young man who's wrestling with what kind of ministry he should be involved in, would you put in all of them this conviction that the choir will happen? Oh God, give us grace to sacrifice, to throw away our plans for a new car, to change our our financial giving, or to change our prayers for our children so that we could be involved in building that choir. Pray that you would impact each of us. That we might be encouraged in our evangelism. That we might be excited when we think about the final day, not discouraged when we think about the result of today. May each of us respond. Respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. We pray for this grace, Father, that you might be magnified and exalted. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed.